Hey, uh, let me introduce you to myself just a little bit, just like I just said. Uh, my name is Bryant Manning. I am a, a graduate of Florida Southern, which is just a few minutes up the road, really. It seems shorter every time I drive it, so I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I, I uh, went to Duke Seminary uh, in uh, North Durham. I almost forgot where it was. Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> And came back to work at Florida Southern because the campus ministry and, and the, my involvement in ministry when I was in college changed my life. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist church uh, when I was 17. There was some politics in that church. Have you ever heard of church politics before? Yeah, of course. So there was some politics in that church that allowed my entire family the opportunity to find a new place to worship. If you know what I'm saying? And so my entire family got up and left the church that my parents were married in, that I was baptized in, that my sister was baptized in. After my parents had been there 26 years, I think I had been there 17, and we got up and we left and we walked away. And I've never been so, through so much pain before in my life because all of my friends were there, you know? Like everything in my life was at that church. And then um, for about nine to 12 months, I gave up on the church. I walked away. Some of you may have done that before in your life. Just gave up and walked away. I was frustrated and I was angry. I didn't even know how frustrated and angry I was. You know, now I'm an adult and I've talked to my parents about it time and time and time again, and I didn't even realize the pain that they went through. But I was frustrated and I was angry. And then I came to Florida Southern, and I worked on the team at Warren Willis Camp, which you have sent students to, and thank you for doing that. In that experience changed my life. I rediscovered what grace was. I rediscovered what um, God was doing in my life in big and in mighty ways. And I started to listen to God in ways that I had never listened before. And so the United Methodist Church saved my Christianity. I mean, I very much realize that some of you know what's going on in the United Methodist Church right now. You know about the heartbreak and, and, and the hurt um, that's going on in the United Methodist Church. And, and I pray daily for what's going on in the United Methodist Church. I mean, I pray daily, and I would beg of you that you do too, that somehow the United Methodist Church would take a leap um, into the future future in, in a big and a bold way, and I don't just mean what's going on in current politics. I mean in a big and bold way that we would listen to the church, and so that's, or to God, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, I have to start with a, a confession that you probably figured out already. I am a millennial. Thank you for laughing. I am a millennial, and I'm a millennial in every sense of the word. I don't, uh, some of you may, know, may think of college students as millennials. College students are not millennials. They're like Gen Z or something else at this point. Millennials are generally around, I don't know, 28 to 30-something years old. I'm 32. <sighs> I'm getting older every time I turn around. And, uh, and I am a millennial in the sense that I also am addicted to this thing called the Internet. Have you heard of the Internet? Yes. Okay. It was a joke. Yes, you've heard of the Internet. You have the internet in Lithia, right? Okay. Got it last year. <laughs> I'm addicted to the internet. Now, the internet, I did some research, uh, started to gain some popularity in, in 
popular culture. In 1989, I was born in 87. So you could say that most millennials have grown up not not knowing the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like we have known the internet inside and out, and, and it changed the way that we behaved. It changed the way that we communicate with each other. My wife will tell you, uh, when we were, this is, this is cute. My wife and I met in sixth grade. Thank you. Aw, yeah. We did not date that entire time, but we did meet then. And we, we were uh, addicted to this online messaging system called AOL Instant Messenger. Some of you may have heard of this. Rest in peace, it no longer is alive. We, and we, we, would, we would assign these sounds to each other. So when each of us logged on, we could hear, you know, we, and this, this is before cell phones, right? This is before um, tablets. You had one computer in the home, right? And you would just turn the volume up all the way so that you could hear whether people were coming and going from this messaging platform. And so we would go, and you'd run into the room, and we'd sit there and type a bunch of dumb stuff. I found out a couple years ago she saved all of them. She... She printed, they're not embarrassing. Well, they are. She printed them and put them in a book. This I know, right? She's the best. <laughs> it changed the way that we communicated. Uh, I am somebody, and I, probably some of you in here are the same way. I despise talking on the phone. Does anybody despise talking on the phone? I feel like it's awkward. I never know what to say. I always am waiting for that next thing, and I don't know exactly know how to respond. I just am not good at talking on the phone. So AOL Instant Messenger changed my middle school career, you know, because instead of taking up the phone line uh, by... Uh, by, you know, sitting there talking to my friend on the phone or whatever, I just took up the phone line because it was connected to the internet because you used to have to do them separately, I mean, together, you know what I'm saying? So, I, but it changed the way that I was able to communicate with people. And this is true um, throughout the rest of my life. In fact, there's a reason right now that my phone is in my pocket, right? Because all of us probably have a phone in our pocket or our purse not far from our reach right now in case the world were to end, somebody could communicate with us right now here in this place. Not actually in this building. For some reason, you guys have real cell service problems. <laughs> but, but my phone is on me at all times, at all times. And this is true about most of us. Uh, I, I say this jokingly as a millennial, but this is true about most of us at this point, right? We are addicted. I mean, in a very real way, we are addicted to the devices in our pocket. You've, you've all seen this at a restaurant or where a family sits there and they're all sitting on their phone. Like, it's so glad that we could go out and pay for this nice meal so we could sit here and not talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? Um, but this is true. This is, this is the way that our, our community now, our society communicates. And it's really, really good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is really good. I saw a report uh, two weeks ago, I guess, where, maybe it was last week, where a, a woman uh, was looking for her daughter, and her daughter was missing. And she tracked down her daughter with the GPS on her phone, found that her daughter was on the side of the road. She went out with her husband, too, and they found her daughter trapped underneath a car. I mean, right, it, it probably saved her life, the fact that they could track her with her phone. That is a very real thing. But I've also seen the opposite be true. Um, I, for some reason, the 18 to 22-year-olds that I work with at Florida Southern College share their location with each other. And so... When they're hanging out together and someone's not invited to that hangout, that person sees in very real time that there are people together that you're normally with, but you're not with now. Or they all have this awesome thing called Snapchat. 
which is an app where you can share all the fun things that are going on in your life right now. And for some reason, when they're leaving somebody out of their group, right, they're, they're being a click without a, uh, a certain someone. For some reason, they still think it might be appropriate to post about that online. And so that person sees that. Now they start to realize that they missed that fun time. See, it used to be that like if you missed a party or something uh, on Friday, you wouldn't really find out about that until Monday, you know? And so by the, t- by the time that, you were probably pretty jealous, but the fire had kind of worn off, right? There was nothing you could do about it at that point. And now they're finding out in very real time what's happening. It is changing the way we interact with culture. It's changing the way we socialize. Diane Sawyer did a, a, uh, a special a couple weeks ago about screen time. And we've all heard these reports. I don't have to sit here and sell you on the idea that screens are in some ways hurting us. But Diane Sawyer did this report, and this is what she called a conversation starter. And, and she, one of the things she did is she convinced somehow, I don't know, I would never have agreed to this, somehow convinced a family to let them film her, right? Like, f- film them, sorry, in their house and also track all of the activity on their phones and their internet connections. So she knew exactly what each device was doing when. I don't know how she got them to do that, but she did. And then they tracked them for two weeks and then they sat down and they talked through what it was like to behave as a family, what she she observed. I mean, remember, they knew that cameras were in their house, and they still behaved like this. And they found a lot of things. They found the typical things that you would find, that you think was going to happen. They found that she, the mom, uh, would sit there and do her email while her kids were watching television. And they saw that the kids would sit there and text while they were doing six other things. You know what I'm saying? Uh, They would what was odd to me is they would communicate with each other in a group message, but over text message, right? And they were all sitting in the same house, you know? Um, but they did this. And uh, she was interviewing this woman that was not connected to that piece, and, and she was talking about how difficult it is for us just to put down our phones. It's so difficult for us to just get away from technology and devices sometimes. And she said a lot of times she has her own daughter who's sitting there trying to get her attention. And I am a father of an 18-month-old, and I know this in a very real way. That your daughter, your child is trying to get your attention. And you might be doing something really important. I think that everything I do on my phone is really important. (laughs) It's not. But I will sit and scroll or I'll respond to an email or I need to let somebody on the internet know how wrong they are. You know what I'm saying? And so I will sit there and write this out while my child is trying to get a hold of me. And my child will say, dad, dad, dad. And the same thing was true of this woman. She said her daughter would say, mommy, mommy, mommy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. And mommy said, yes, yes, go ahead. Like, whatever. And mommy, mommy, mommy. Yes, I'm listening, I'm listening. Mommy, mommy, yes, I'm listening, I'm listening. And then the daughter said, and I love this line, the daughter said, mommy. And she grabs her face. And she says, I need you to listen with your whole face. (laughs) And I, like, have you ever seen one of the things that just hit you right in the heart, you know? My 18-month-old, we've now gotten to the point where we don't rock her to sleep. This is like within the last week. It's amazing. We read her a book. We rock her for about two seconds, and then we put her in the crib, and we let her go to sleep herself. This has been life-changing for me because we did not do that before. It would take 45 minutes for us to sit there and rock her until she went to sleep Till we thought we could kind of move our body, right, in order to put her down. 
But here's what I found. In, the, in that 45-minute time when we were rocking, waiting, waiting for her to go into a deep sleep so that we could put her down without her waking up, what I found was that as soon as her eyes closed, my hand would reach for my pocket, and I'd pull out my phone. And I'm so dumb because it's a bright screen in a dark room, and she would wake up. So I got smart. I had the AirPods, you know, and uh, these wireless earbuds, and I would uh, put them in because she couldn't see those, and I'd play a podcast or something. And I didn't feel real bad about that because I was, you know, just passing the time. And then I realized this is 45 minutes in which I have my own child in my hand, and the only thing that I can think of is how can I distract myself, right? Right? That's what I mean by being a millennial with an addiction. I mean, I'm, I'm at a point right now where I'm like, I've got to get away from these devices and screens. It's almost as if I really need to spend that time with my 18-month-old listening with my whole face, right? Like, I've just got to pay attention with my whole face. And I tell you what, for those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about because I am really new to this whole thing. Uh, Everybody tells you that it's going to go really fast. And uh, for those of you who have adult children, you're like, wow, yeah, that was totally true. Mine's 18 months. She's still a toddler, like a young toddler, you know what I'm saying? And I, every day, we were at Disney yesterday, I'm thinking, when did she get this big? I have no idea. I remember her in the hospital. This makes no sense to me. And yet, I can't help but think what's hurting that is me being addicted to something that's not her. Uh, I want to point us to a passage in Scripture this morning from 1 Samuel. And uh, because we are good people of this world, we're going to read it off of a screen. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. I want to stop here for a second. Eli's vision is dim here. This is very important to this story, and I think, and I think it's super intentional that the author puts this in here. Eli, whose eyesight had become to grow, begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called Samuel, called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Something big is about to happen in Israel at this point. Something big. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the story of Israel, um, there begins creation, yes? You're familiar with this person named Abraham? And uh, then all of the descendants from Abraham start to happen. They, they get into Egypt. Eventually, they are enslaved in Egypt. And our buddy Moses pulls them out of Egypt, takes them in to the desert in which um, they wander for a long time, way longer than I would have had patience for. They wander for a long time till they enter the promised land. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. And they take on new leadership. And from this point, as they're starting to develop as a nation, God is changing the way that leadership happens within Israel. Now, this is important because Israel wanted to be like every other nation. And God kept saying, you're different. And Israel, like we do, says, yeah, but we want to be like them. And God says, right, but you're different. And so Israel says, yeah, but we want to be like that. I mean, can you imagine the frustration from God's perspective? And so God ended up giving them kings, and you can imagine how well that went. And then they are ruled by judges for a while. And these judges become corrupt. And these judges who are supposed to be holy judges ruling over the nation of Israel They don't follow through in the way that God wants them to. And so God's about to make a big change. And God is going to utilize prophets like Samuel to take us forward in leadership. Eli is a priest of the old way. I don't think there's any mistake that the beginning of this passage starts with talking about how dim Eli's eyes were. I mean, this is important. Uh, I was sharing this with somebody the other day, and... Uh, they're an optometrist. <laughs> they said it's probably cataracts. Maybe. I think the reason it's in our story is because it's showing that the vision that is about to be set by a prophet like Samuel, the vision that's about to be set is not seen by the old ways. You know what I'm saying? And so Eli, this priest, this person who knows God supposedly inside and out, doesn't see the way forward. And so God goes to Samuel. Now, when God is speaking to Samuel here, Samuel is probably 11 to 12 years old. I mean, Samuel is not very old in this case. Um, have you ever noticed that God tends to use people that uh, maybe aren't the most qualified? Amen, right? And so God takes Samuel and he says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel has no idea who's talking to him. And so he goes to Eli, who he was working underneath, and says, did you call me? Did you call me? And Eli says, uh, I didn't. Like any parent who's ever had a child come wake them up in the middle of the night, right? No, go back to bed, right? Eli's not Samuel's parent, but you can see that. And so this happens again. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. You called me. No, I didn't. Go back to bed. Samuel, Samuel, you called me. No, I didn't. And then Eli finally realizes, wow, maybe this is somebody else talking to Samuel. Maybe this is God talking to Samuel. And so Samuel follows Eli's instructions to say, speak, for your servant is listening. And it is at that point, and only at that point, after three attempts, it is at that point in which God says, listen, there's something coming in Israel. There's something being done here in Israel, and you have got to follow this. It's going to make 
every person who is listening, their ears tingle. I mean, this is something big, and I'm taking us in a new direction. And I just love this play between God and Samuel here. Can you imagine the frustration of being God? God has the most patience of any being that has ever existed because we are the way we are. And so we have existed in a way that we choose the other way so often. We go on our other paths so often. We choose the ways of the world like Israel did so many times, like we do every single day. We choose another path, and God just keeps coming back over and over and over again. It's a thing called grace, right? We name the church after it. God keeps coming back over and over just to say, listen, are you, are you ready to listen now? Are you listening now? It, it, it's almost like that mom, right? It's almost like that mom who says, yes, I'm listening. Mommy, mommy, yes, I'm listening. Mommy, mommy, yes, I'm listening. Mommy, mommy, yes. Mommy, I need you to listen with your whole face. And I can't help but look at the church in our world today and see a church, and I don't mean just the United Methodist Church. I don't mean just Grace Community. I mean the church, like the whole world. And I can't help but see a church that sometimes doesn't listen with our own whole face. How many times in our church bodies do we choose one way because we think it's the best way, or we've done this before, this is how we're going to do it in the future. Seminary professor of mine told me that the seven deadly words uh, of a church are not money, 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 money. The seven deadly uh, words of the church are we've never done it that way before. This idea that if, if God is going to move, if God's going to utilize us, then we are going to have to listen with our whole face. We are going to have to follow in an intimate way. And I look at uh, the bureaucracy of a lot of our church. I look at a lot of the leadership of some of our church. And I think, are we listening to the word of God? Are we listening? There are a few ways um, that I think we, we move forward in this. First of all, we pray. And I, I beg of you, uh, pray for our United Methodist Church. Don't pray that your, your piece of the agenda would be, would be fulfilled. Or at least if you do, pray for that to be secondary, that the, that the church would follow in the path of God. It would follow the will of God. Pray for your fellow Christians probably some of us in this room and people we know in our lives that um, would mark Christian on a sheet of paper but certainly aren't in the pews on Sundays or certainly aren't tithing on Sundays. Pray for our leadership of our churches because we often think we know the best way to run a church but how often have we sat in our pastor's shoes and seen the difficulty? Pray that not only they would follow in God's path, but that we would give them the grace that God gives us. 
if we're going to follow a God who has called us to build a kingdom, if we're going to follow that God, we have got to listen with our whole faces. We've got to. And here's the thing. This, what I love about this story is if the point was that God got Samuel's attention, then the point is there. But we get this story in which Samuel kind of ignores it, and Eli doesn't know what's going on two or three times. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have just been, okay, God called Samuel. Samuel said, I am listening, Lord, and then he goes on. But no, what we actually see is the mistakes that are made, right? We actually see the brokenness that happens. We see Eli with his eyes dimly lit and him not realize. We see Samuel not realize because he had not yet, the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. We, we see this in this story, and I think this is so important because this path of following God is full of mistakes over and over and over again. So many times, God says, go this way, and we go this way. God says, go this way, and we go this way. God says, we go this way, and we go this way. And yet we follow a God who lets Samuel go back to bed and calls his name again. If that's you in your life, where you may have given up on listening to God or you're frustrated with God or you're frustrated with the church or you're frustrated with Christianity, let me encourage you. Go back to bed and listen to God's voice. Give God that opportunity because God is faithful and God's gonna do it over and over and over again until we finally get the point. Let's pray together. Gracious God of uh, mercy and truth and justice and love. God, we so desperately want to follow who you are. We want to be the people that you've called us to be. We want to be your church. But God, so often we're distracted by our own ways. God, so often we're distracted by what we think the, the future is, what we think the path forward is. God, help us not to be selfish in that way. God, help us listen to you with our whole faces. No matter the cost, no matter how much we get made fun of, no matter how many mistakes we make, God, beat down the doors until we finally can say, speak, God, for your servant is listening. We pray this all in your holy name, God. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.